G'day and welcome to Wrestling Headlines Radio. Today we are counting down top 10 AEW matches in the definitive AEW match guide. Now with me today, I'm Sir Sam, your host. You may know me from Wrestling Headlines. Uh, I have my usual partner in crime, Matt Mayer, aka The Implications, aka Imp. Imp, how are you going today? Good day, Sam. <laughs> Doing okay. G'day. Good to have you, mate. <laughs> I practiced the accent before we came on. It's, I think it's before Gav came in as well. <laughs> just, good day. You're getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> And as well with us today, we have from Pro Wrestling Musings, one of the writers from that fantastic site. We have Gareth Ward Elliott. How are you doing, Gareth? Welcome to Not Wrestling Headlines. Not too badly, mate. Oh. You, mate? <laughs> fantastic, mate. That's Bonza right there. Good stuff, mate. Put me Put in the dust. Put some shrimp on the barbie. Have a shoey after doing that one. <laughs> Oh, yeah, fantastic, right. fantastic. Jim, it's a revolution of pro wrestling. What a great time to be a fan of professional wrestling. We are- Look, as as I said, we're here today to announce the top 10 for the AEW match guide. You may have seen that on the top 50 to 11 on the wrestlingheadlines.com homepage. Of course, that is the countdown that I've put together using a number of different writers from all around the wrestling universe. We've got people from Wrestling Headlines, Pro Wrestling Musings, Wrestle In, The Chair Shot, Social Suplex. It's it's a, a veritable Avengers of um, <laughs> wrestling commentators, pro wrestling commentators and fans who've all come together, put together their top 15 matches. And from that, we've been able to get the definitive AEW match guide. So basically we're looking at what are the best matches that AEW has put on in its first two years. It's been really great to count down from 50 to 11 so far. I'm really proud of what we've been able to assemble, the amount of work that the other writers and myself have been able to put into it to make it something really special. Uh, and it's it's really exciting to count down the top 10 today. Just to start out, though, um, before we get into the actual countdown, um, I wanted to just bring both of you guys in and ask a, a little bit about your history as AEW fans. It, Gareth, since you're our guest, since the listeners might be uh, less familiar with you than they are with him, I'll let you go first. What made you a fan of AEW? So I think for most people, there was a sense of frustration with the WE products and potentially a lot of other companies as well, if you're into those. My friends, Kieran, who, you know, we do stuff over on Rest Hold Wrestling every now and then. <laughs> but yeah, he showed me like some stuff from New Japan uh, when we were in university. And it always kind of like appealed, but I never really got into it. Like the main ones who did were just Kenny Omega in particular. I was also a big Cody Rhodes fan as well. So like stuff I actually went out of my way to go and look at was like what Cody Rhodes was doing in New Japan and then a little bit in Ring of Honor as well but I never really got fully into it just because with WWE I was very very casual like it was just like I would watch the pay-per-views I might like keep up with like the shows and stuff like when I was younger used to be really into it but like and I used to watch Impact as well but that all kind of fell away as those companies kind of went downhill a little bit and then when AEW was kind of like well, when All In happened, watched that and I thought it was really good. Shortly after that, the rumours about AEW started coming and then the confirmation, and it just started getting more and more exciting. And then basically Double or Nothing just confirmed me as a fan for life. Cody versus Dustin, I was always a big Cody fan. That was one of the matches I really wanted when they were both in WWE. They just kind of nailed it and the rest of the show as well was such a variety and it's just things from all over the place and it was like, this is kind of like the perfect thing for me really. That was basically it really, it was just, it all kind of came together in a nice little moment where I was really falling out of wrestling. And it pulled but me back I, in I, as well. I became a proper New Japan watcher as well. 
Um, yeah, you're a proper diehard now. You're a real nerd, <laughs> just like me and him. Um, I've I've never I never knew that actually. I've, we've spoken a lot on Twitter and on different things, but I never knew that AEW was the thing that actually brought you back as a lapsed fan. That's, that's yeah. really cool to hear. Imp, you people who listen to wrestling headlines may know a little bit about your story and may have wrote it with you a little bit, but <laughs> do you want to give the brief outline of, of how you ended up listening or, or watching AEW? Yeah, so I'm assuming mine's a little bit similar to you, Sam, given that I'm the one that introduced you to New Japan for wrestling <laughs> all those years ago. Indeed, that's true. Oh, that, that's a great show. I love doing that. So it's a New Japan backstory. 2014, I was similarly kind of just falling out of WWE a little bit. It's when they kind of started going into this era that just coming out of now, I guess, like the really in the against the fans know we're doing this anyway. And I'm like, there's other wrestling out there. I could just watch that. I don't have to sit here watching Doctor Who. <laughs> I don't like it. It's fine. I can watch something else. So I, I'm going to insert random British TV irritancies <laughs> during this. So I went, yeah, I went, I tried out New Japan G1 Climax 2014, which for, I guess, the uneducated is about three, four months before Kenny Omega debuted for New Japan. I'm not one of those people who went to New Japan because of the Bullet Club. I went because of AJ Styles. I was a huge TNA guy and I loved AJ Styles. So him going over to New Japan was a huge deal for me. And I found out he became champion, like his first match or something ridiculous like that. So I was like, oh, well, I'll check that out. I thought I'd try out the G1 Climax, watch all the other guys. I was like, oh, holy shit, that's Festus. <laughs> so this is a lot of <laughs> just uh and it's it a really strange introduction to the products for me where i i didn't really have a lot of backstory when i first watched it i didn't really do any research i was like i'll just try out this show what's up with that air guitar guy he's apparently their john cena <laughs> this is weird <laughs> but i japanese commentary as well oh, no oh english commentary yeah no english commentary yeah most of the g1 climax was single camera without commentary <laughs> they they didn't film the entire thing for their own nation, never mind in English, which the amount that they've jumped forward is insane. But this is AEW. I've got to fast forward just a little bit. Fast forward <laughs> a little bit, please. <laughs> yeah, still in 2014. I'm not going year by year. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway, Geo Climates grabbed me. I was a New Japan fan since then. And Wrestle Kingdom really solidified it, like my first Wrestle Kingdom. Since then, I just followed the Bullet Club and just I watched the rise as I felt like I started watching just before the rise happened. I think AJ Styles probably was an instigator for a lot of people, and that's where the word of mouth started to happen. Yeah, so I, and I, all the shirts started to pop up yes. at wrestling shows, and when it got mm. to wrestle, when they had the Hot Topic guy see the Bullet Club shirt all over the place at mm. WrestleMania. That like the start of AEW, like the history of the Bullet Club is. That is the start of AEW, like the rise of the Bullet Club yep. and how big that became to that point where they took on that Dave Meltzer bet and they sold out the arena. Van Madison Square Garden with Ring of Honor. An unheard of event, really. So for that to actually happen, <laughs> it was crazy. But yeah, for me, it was following Bullet Club throughout there. And I started watching Being the Elite when they started uploading random videos where it was just the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega killing time during a G1 climax. Just, what do we do on this tour? I don't know, let's just piss about. <laughs> That's what Being the Elite was. It was a channel I checked into now and then because they were just wrestlers doing silly things because they're bored. 
<laughs> that was the channel. But yeah, so I followed it through there, and they did that. Then it slowly built, became more and more popular. Followed them the entire time, gleefully glistening at <laughs> their kind of rise and following the entire thing. And I've just stuck with it from like obviously from day one, but because I was already following New Japan and that trajectory, watching them go into America. Then obviously we know now the plan was for them to pretty much use what became AW. That was meant to be that's what New Japan wanted to use as their platform to get into America and. They accidentally built stars too good, <laughs> so they <laughs> made their own promotion. <laughs> My AW history is more of a New Japan history, probably because I was already watching that stuff because of New Japan. Well, particularly, I mean, I'm similar. I came into New Japan a little bit later than you did, Imp, but particularly for those of us who watched BTE when they really started to integrate storylines into it, and I think of the Bullet Club Civil War as almost like the test case of can these guys do episodic television, that being the war between Kenny and Cody. And that was just riveting. I was looking forward to BTE coming out every single week when that happened and waiting for it to, so I could find out what the next instalment was. And, and that's when it was clear to me that these guys were on, were doing something really different and really incredible and, and groundbreaking. And the, then the transition into doing AEW and having their own organisation felt very natural almost, you know, if you'd seen, if you'd been along with them for that ride. So, yeah, interesting to get your perspective on that, Ian. Look, that's that's kind of where we're both, where we're all coming from. We're all diehard AEW fans, and this, as were all of the writers who who did this, all people who love it. And this countdown is a tribute to the work that this company has created, and it's it's brought in lapsed fans. It's had Gareth. It's had fans who were, you know, on the fence about WWE or, or very frustrated with it, like myself, you know, and and made us feel like kids again. So that's why I wanted to do this list, and that's why so many people have been excited to get involved. Guys, getting into the countdown, before we get to the top 10, which we will get to, I wanted to just get your takeaways from the numbers 50 to 11. You guys both submitted top 15. The reason I've got you two on was because you were the two people I talked to about this before I started inviting anyone along. You were the two people who I, who I kind of sounded out. So I'm curious to get your your takes on when you first heard about this and thought about this. You know, what are some things that you're happy have made this top 50? What are some things that, you know, one or two matches that you may look at this and go, oh, I'm a bit surprised that one's in there or that, that's, that wouldn't be as high or what are some takeaways from your input? I'll go to you first. Yeah, so for me, a pleasant surprise was seeing uh, Benny's match from the women's tournament. Comment which promotion they worked with. Ice Ribbon? No, was it? I think it was Ice Ribbon's Yeah, I think it was Ice Ribbon, yeah. It was, I think it was Emmy Emmy Sakura's kind of training facility. Ah, right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so um, I was really impressed with uh, Benny when that aired. And it was a nice surprise to see it there. As soon as I saw that, I was like, did James Boyd vote on this list? Because <laughs> it's there. With the... <laughs> it's so highly up there. Pleasant surprise to see a match like that make the top 50. It's just a nice little reminder of, oh, solid, like, just solid matches that I really enjoyed, like all performance that grabbed you, that, that got enough votes. That's great to see. And uh, I think for me, seeing so many women's matches as high as they are was a pleasant surprise in that, like, no, they did put out some great women's matches. I'm not saying the storylines were built consistently or whatever, and <laughs> the criticism obviously is valid. But the uh, like they did put out bangers. To say they've not put out anything is obviously a bad faith take. <laughs> just the, the, this list has got really strong matches on there. Like in our top 20, there's multiple women matches. Never mind, just like scattered about the top 50. In our top 10 <laughs> women matches. We'll talk about one. We'll talk Whoa, about women wrestling geez. today. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. 
I think that's my that's my pleasant surprise one. And because uh, I think I messaged you, Sam, when I was doing this, where, like, for example, the Brody Lee tribute match, I was so on the fence of putting it on where I was like, it's where my... Like, where your list of favourite movies and your list of what are the best made movies are totally different lists. <laughs> so for me, that tribute match was one of my favourite AW matches. And I was like, oh, but is it one of the best matches? And I, I ended up not not putting it on the list. But then as soon as I saw... Uh, Sam shared the results with me ahead of time, so I am aware of the list. <laughs> but as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a point. The point it got that emotion from me. That's what matches are meant to do. <laughs> so it, it is a great match. So I think that's my like my one regret with my list was not putting that tribute match like right up there near the top. Just because it is one of those that means so much to me. But I got too critical. Oh, I went, I went too Meltzer. <laughs> I went too far. <laughs> into the, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting looking at the ways you could take this. Everyone got to put their own top 15 and I didn't try and put a rubric on it. I just said just pick 15 matches that you want to pick and you want to get votes in this so it could be there's obviously people who look at it critically and overall and you know what objectively would be the best match but then there's some people who are very highly subjective and it's it's all about their personal feelings towards something and i definitely i fall i think most of us fall somewhere in the middle of that and that was one of the ones i was so i was so happy made it i voted for that Brody lee tribute match uh and, and i was so happy when i saw that other people were voting for it as well because i just think that's that match is going to hold a special place in AEW's history forever gareth I'll, I'll let you you have at it. What were some of the ones that surprised you? Like you both, that Brody Lee tribute match was just fantastic. And I think even even objectively, I think it was fantastic. And I, I, I'm, I'm with him in that. Like I regret not actually putting it on my top 15 just because it was one I was had, having that conversation with and I was trying to be kind of overly objective and maybe I should have just, you know, what and actually just to, brought that amount. Sorry, just to cut in, we're talking about the MJF, Santana and Ortiz yeah. versus Adam Page, John Silver and Alex Reynolds one came in 26. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was another one I was happy to see like in the top 30 for sure. Also, Serena Deeb versus Riho is just one of my favourite matches. In terms of like a match that doesn't really have much story or anything, because I'm usually drawn more to those. The work particularly from Deeb, but also Riho's like baby face fiery comebacks in this match were brilliant but the way Deeb just like you know wasn't even a heel although kind of wrestled like a heel in this match but just tearing Rico's little body apart was just so good it was just perfect for what it needed to be really I think and I was happy that that again that was in the top 25 I think at 22 it was nice to see Moxley and Kingston uh, in the top 20 as well because that had such a good story going into it and the promos and everything and the match itself was probably not as good as some of the others but like that was more about a story and being a program. So that was nice to see that uh, recognised as well. And the dog collar match, number 11, was really, really good because I've always been a huge Brody Lee fan. When uh, he asked for his release from WWE, I was really wanting him to come to AEW. And I wasn't sure if it would actually happen if he just ended up in one of the other companies on the indies because I wasn't sure how other people viewed him. And, and then he returned to WWE and I was really excited. But I was like, oh, damn, maybe this means... He's there, and I mean, good for him if he's happy now, but luckily he still came to AEW and he had that amazing run before his time passed, unfortunately. But that dog collar match is my all-time favourite for a Brody Lee match, as it probably is for a lot of other people, and it was nice to see it so high. It's one of those where it's like, it is a great match, but I don't know whether it was just me who was just so into it for certain reasons, as well as being a huge Cody Rhodes fan as well. I wasn't sure if it was just me who really liked that or 
if it was everyone. And it's good to see that it was everyone. I mean, I think everyone, loved that angle in particular, even the squash match that came in 21st, I was yeah. very surprised. The one where Brody Lee just dominated Cody, 21st. So a lot of love for that that program. Insane rivalry. Just quickly, I'll get one from both of you before we get into the top 10. What's one match that you think should have been in the top 10 but isn't? I'll start off with my pick. My pick is John Moxley versus Brody Lee. I I voted that third. That's that's probably John Moxley's best match that he's had in the company. Probably up there with the match against Ishii as the best match he's had since leaving the WWE. Tells a Terminator a story that I always compare to Terminator, where you've got just this unstoppable force trying to hunt down and kill this everyman hero who's just clawing and biting and doing everything he can to try and not just win but just escape and survive. I, I think it should have been top 10, but I'm an absolute diehard Mox fan, of course. So, of course, I think that. Gareth, What? which one of these would you have put in the top 10? When you first said that, I was going to go immediately to the same match. Big Brody Lee fan. And Respect. obviously, <laughs> everyone loves Mox. But I'll go with a different one. Young Bucks versus SCU. It, maybe not top 10, but like I think it's a really underrated match. And I think maybe... AW's, I don't want to say failure, because I think that the story did come across to those who really invested. But I think the fact that they didn't really hone in on this, that feud and that story, maybe is part of the reason why it didn't connect with as many people as it did with me. But I thought that was just an amazing match, such a great last match for SCU and everything that went into it. It was a light version of Young Bucks versus Omega and Hangman in that every man in that match kind of had their own personal story within it. And it was really, really underrated, I thought. So it, I think it came in at 28. I was just a little bit disappointed to see it that low down. I was hoping that would at least get in the top 15, if not the top 10. And there was one also I just wanted, because it didn't make the top 50, and I thought this was mental. Young Bucks and FTR versus Lucha Brothers and Butcher and the Blade. I think it was one of the best eight-man tag team matches of all time. And it was just so fantastic. And I was surprised, maybe it got lost in the shuffle. But I remember when that happened, people were talking about it the next two weeks and like going on about it was part of this larger story. But that was one that I would have loved to have seen just in the top 50, but it didn't even make it, which was just shows how many great matches they've had, I guess. Uh, I can't remember if I put that in my top 15, but... Was that the FTR's first one where they did, where the Young Bucks and FTR did each other's finishes? I'm not sure if it was first or whatever, but there was that story of them having to work together when they don't like each other, and then it, that will built into the larger thing with like Hangman and Omega as well. But yeah, it was a fantastic match. I can't remember they or they tried to or something like that, or they hit a finisher together. I can't remember exactly how it went. But there was something along those lines. Imp, what was what was one that you would have thought would have made the top ten or deserved to be in the top ten? Yeah, so I was I was just looking through the uh, spreadsheet as you were talking about that, and then I was like, why am I doing this? I know this without even looking. It's blood and guts. <laughs> blood and guts. I thought was absolutely fantastic. It's the only time. Like, as soon as it's as soon as it ended, I sent a message off to uh, Stephanie Chase, who covers AW immediately, and I was just like, I am so jealous right now. <laughs> that was absolutely amazing <laughs> it was an incredible match and it absolutely flew by i was sucked into every single thing they were doing where i was one of those people that was a little bit annoyed at the uh, reception to the ending because i was just like but what came before it was so good 
<laughs> I enjoyed the flow of the match. Uh, for me, it left the war games in the dust. The way the way the tension built up to it. For me, like these shots is where I mean you've already brought up Civil War, but the Marvel Civil War thing where it's got two sides of the superheroes jumping at each other. <laughs> it was just like yes, that shot from inside Blood and Guts where they just charged at each other. For me, that that was like pardon the pun. That was the pinnacle of the match. <laughs> it's that amazing, <laughs> that amazing clash coming together, and yeah, the way that it escalated as well. Absolutely loved that match. It was just like my favourite thing. <laughs> Enjoyed it so much. It's one of those that you can't... For me, I can't talk about it quickly because there's so many little details. <laughs> but everything about it just built so incredibly well and the climax for me was fitting. It's a shame they didn't find the right angle until afterwards because I think in all of the promotion about the match afterwards it's the one shot from the side of Jericho falling which is the angle to use because you don't see anything pop up on the left of him it's just and it looks great um, and you see the height as well yes. like I, yeah. I this, is, this is off topic a little bit a bit of a tangent but when I was going through university I shot a short film for my uni degree and I, it was called Pillow Fight Club you can actually look it up on YouTube if you type my name <laughs> and Pillow Fight Club in Cheeky anyway plug. If you do it again, I'll smack you in the head. The climax of it has two people climb up on the top of a, a car and hit each other with pillows on the top of the car and one of them gets knocked off and falls off. And so we had to shoot it. And because we're just in university, we, you know, don't, we're not professional stunt people. So we pulled out a mattress, <laughs> one of our bed mattresses. Oh, no. And because I was the person shooting it and organizing it, I had to be the first person to go off. And I did it. I jumped off the top of a car onto a mattress and it hurt. It winded me. I was... <laughs> rolling on the ground for ages obviously i don't know how to take a bump but <laughs> falling off something even yeah. onto a crash mat does not mm. it still hurts like it's <laughs> you're still falling off a big high thing you get a bit of bracing but yeah look i i, I agree with you there that's uh, well i don't i don't think i would have put a top 10 but it's certainly a match that i think over time will you know as people dig into it will probably be appreciated more because there's just so much going on it was just so chaotic and it got that feeling of like it felt like a war because there's just so much going on anyway thank you for that gentlemen i've teased enough um it's time to get into the top 10 over 32 different people submit votes from all across the wrestling universe so i think this is a pretty definitive top 10 when you look at it and uh, and something that i i don't think anyone will have any arguments with we'll start with number 10 from double or nothing 2021 2021 it's john moxley and eddie kingston versus the young bucks for the AEW tag team titles an absolute war of a match i've likened it to thing where you've got a team versus two individuals and the team has to fight together to overcome these two absolutely overpowering individuals who are just swarming them impa i'll chuck to you what are your thoughts on john moxley and eddie kingston versus the young bucks i remember my takeaway at the moment was still the crowd because it was the second match, or if you exclude the pre-show, it was the second match on the show. Fans, you still got that feeling because Cage and Page had just tore the house down with an absolutely insane opener, and the crowd were eating up every single moment in that match. 
And then we went into this match afterwards, and I'm like, oh my god, this is already like the best pay per view of the year. There's <laughs> two matches in, the consistency here is incredible. Yeah, I think I think Mox threw a chair into the crowd yeah. or something crazy. She <laughs> was so pumped up. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that. What do you mean this is the second match? <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, yeah, I just remember just feeling that hype throughout the entirety of this match. It's another fantastic example of the young bucks. No, exact. They're not. They're not the spot monkeys. The I guess more bad faith takes that clear sign. You don't actually watch. You've not watched a young bucks match. <laughs> if you're like, oh, they don't. They just do flips and yep. stuff. They don't do story. Another example. I feel like especially after they've turned heel, seeing them do fantastic story stuff outside of AEW already. The Omega Bushi matches. Holy crap! <laughs> there is something insane. But yeah, since they turned heel in AEW, I've really felt it how damn good they've been at the storytelling side of their matches and building it that ultimate crescendo as you put it sam they once again built that crescendo fantastically and yeah, the crowd yeah. was if there was a roof they would have blown it off in this mm. match it was so hot with the crowd just loving and wanting and pleading for mox and kingston to to get the win Gareth, you, you wouldn't have known a whole lot about the Young Bucks, I guess, when until you, being someone who only came across them in AEW, what, where does this fit for you amongst the pantheon of, of Young Bucks matches? Uh, Imp mentioned the Ibushi and Omega match where they, they faced them in New Japan. And there are like a, a bunch of matches that one including that I've gone back and watched retrospectively, having known about them. But Whenever I was shown the Young Bucks before, I didn't quite get it initially. And it was only in AW where I really started to get them. And now, honestly, I'd be hard-pressed to find an act I consistently enjoy more. I think I completely agree with what Imp said since they turned heel. Like, I think their work has just gone to another level. It's probably where they do their best work just because I think they have so much fun with it. But this match, in terms of my personal favourites, it might be like in my top three. Like, I don't know what exactly my top three would be, but this would be definitely in a conversation for just my personal favourites, ignoring any sense of objectivity or whatever. So it's a match that I just enjoyed the most, just because I couldn't, coming in, I, I couldn't predict it. And some people said, oh, it's really obvious that Young Books are going to retain or whatever. But I just thought... Because what you had on the table with Moxley and Kingston, with the first show where you've got fans back, was the two biggest kind of most likable guys teaming up when they're not even a team to take on because dickheads basically, <laughs> like in the entire company. And I said before the match, whatever the result was going to be, this is either going to be like one of the best babyface moments in history or one of the best heel moments. The story and the feud have been built so well to that point. The match didn't disappoint on that. When Young Bucks won, even though I had no problem with them winning from like a storytelling point of view or building them up to be even bigger heels, I had no problem with it from that perspective. I was just so like annoyed. <laughs> I was genuinely worked by it, even though I was fully aware I was being worked. And I think that takes something really special. I probably would have had this match higher. I can't remember if I actually did in my thing, but like I just really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, every match in this top 10 is a great one. <laughs> it's, it's hard to put, put an order on it. The thing that I think of is just how much the Young Bucks made Mox and Eddie look absolutely unstoppable while still beating them, in that every time you felt like Mox and Eddie were just one move away from completely ending it. And all of the near falls, the run-ins worked perfectly. This was, I think, Frankie Kazarian, the first time he sort of did a run-in as the elite hunter, and that blew the roof off. And then the final ending where they had to hit the BTE trigger, I think it was like three or four times on on Mox to put him down. Oh, just incredible. This I, I went in thinking, oh, of course the Young Bucks are going to win. It makes sense. But midway through this 
because the crowd was just going so mental. I was like, I think Mox and Eddie have got this. I think they're going to do it. And then, of course, the heartbreak. But eventually there's going to be someone who's going to beat these absolute insufferable pricks. Springboard for 450 from Cash Wheeler. He loaded him in. Voluntary leaning his feet. That's very FTR unlike FTR. Oh, super kick on the bend. Covers two. We're going to be talking about the Young Bucks a bit today, and the next match is also the Young Bucks, number nine, FTR versus the Young Bucks from Full Gear 2020. The dream match. This was a match that was so many years in the making, was something that people had speculated about, talked about. One of those matches where it's almost like, can we meet the hype? Gareth, do you think this met the hype? Yeah, for sure. Like, I think it was weird because obviously there wasn't a big... It was the biggest crowd they'd had for a while at that point, but it still wasn't a big crowd. And I think the only thing missing was that and people who maybe didn't like it. I don't know, maybe it just wasn't for them. I think, like, from the performer's point of view, everything that they did, the psychology of this was actually really, really good and nuanced with just the complete opposites of the two teams. All that building to that moment where Cash actually does a flip and then that's what loses them the match. It's just kind of like poetic justice, really, for FTR after everything they'd done up to that point in terms of with Hangman and stuff. It was so funny and perfect. That's the way they lost it. And with the super kick as well, rather than doing any, any of the other moves, with the leg and the heel and the foot or whatever exact body part he was selling, but I think it was Matt Jackson, throughout the match to just go, screw it, and just hit that super kick. It was kind of like those two things, FTR not doing flips and the super kick were vital to this feud, you know, going back all the years. And The first time I ever found out about the Young Bucks was when they were, uh, well, I'd heard of them before, but the first time I really, like, looked into them at all was when, like, FTR and the Revival, as they were, and the Young Bucks are kind of going back and forth on Twitter. That was kind of like the first time I ever really was like, oh, this is something to actually take a proper look at. And so to see that it go from there to here, so good it just missed that crowd i think i do think this is a really underrated match which is weird to say like it's in the top 10 i don't know maybe because it didn't have that crowd or some of the build in weeks prior just people weren't quite as hyped as i think they wanted to be i just adored this match yeah, I certainly agree with you there. They are uh, in the build-up, the Young Bucks. I guess they were they got stuck between their broader character arc and the dynamics of this match. Where yeah, in their broader character arc, they were starting to exhibit the tendencies they're given into now. But FTR also, <laughs> FTR are this invading force who've turned Hangman against them. They can't be the the heroes of this match. So the mm. Young Bucks kind of had to be the heroes while also going down this road of starting to be a little bit more um, dickish, so to speak. (laughs) For me personally, when I saw this match, it was a great match. Obviously, I felt like it was just a smidge too long, but that may have just been the crowd thing that you brought up because Mm. you do get carried along by the crowd and this was a much smaller crowd. What were your feelings on this? Do you think it lived up to the hype or do you feel like me and Gareth? I wouldn't say I felt like it under-delivered or anything because it was... The exact match I thought it would be. I think the minusing factor is without a crowd. Like imagine DIY versus the rival without the crowd, without them going mm. crazy for their final spots where they're trying to tap each other out and they're stopping each other. Without the crowd, that spot doesn't have that same oomph to it. But it's still got an oomph because it's still in a fantastic spot. Like we saw here, like like in this match where they were doing similar 
tense spots where they're both screaming. AEW were goodies and baddies side all chanting. Because I remember at the time, it felt like the atmosphere was a lot better in AEW just because they had those fans who were a lot... Uh, the wrestler fans who were a lot more relaxed compared to Thunderdome Digital Studio audience. <laughs> like, you get a much more stronger feel of reaction compared to... Uh, dystopian sci-fi <laughs> I guess the tangent <laughs> that's a tangent but yeah I feel that's the only thing missing if you if this match had a crowd I probably would have put it in my top 10 I think I'm, I'm did I put it in my list I'm just uh, actually I don't think I did it's, it's not there it's not in my own personal list so it turns out I wouldn't have put it there I would have put it in my top 20 <laughs> say that yeah, a lot of the thing. One of the things I loved about this was how they paid tribute to previous tag teams. I really, I really yeah. liked that, particularly given how you know a number of many weeks before, but they'd had that tag team appreciation night where they'd got out a number of different tag teams that had influenced them, and, and that was something that the idea that these are the two people carry, these are the two teams that are most carrying tag team wrestling forward. They're sort of the two flag bearers and they represent different styles was was really interestingly summed up in the way that they did do those different moves um i think it was from memory i think the young bucks hit some of the hardy's moves and hit edge and christian moves whereas the ftr (laughs) ftr hit um the steiner brothers the steiner brothers move i think they hit a heart foundation move it's just a very nice little storytelling little bow to put on that anything else to add on these two before we move on to the next one well, for my final note would be the way that it ties into the Hangman Page story. Any, oh, yeah. any arc yep. that does that Perfect. for me is getting a massive thumbs up. I feel like they're ripping that... When I say ripping the mask off, what I mean is that thing of fans don't remember. So you've got to do short comic book storytelling. Because that's... As in, you have to do comic book storytelling. Is It's a weird verbiage that you hear quite often. For me, I've always worded it as that's the style WWE do rather than that's the style they have to do. I, I, I don't adhere to that. Otherwise, people wouldn't be able to follow Game of Thrones at all. <laughs> it's like, who yeah. are these random people with titles? Like, <laughs> they don't mean anything. For me, it's, it's been a nonsense, but this has been ripping the mask off of that. Just showing it. Instead of just like us saying it, they're saying, no, fans would remember this arc is doing it it's showing that you can tell a multi-year arc and fans will remember they will go crazy we saw it in Dynamite this week this match tying into that this is kind of like a catalyst moment the whole kind of run to the titles for the Young Bucks and Handman Page getting involved stopping them so he doesn't have to face them just oh (laughs) it's so good um, yeah, so I just wanted to give a little shout out to the role this match played in the longer Handman Page feud. Well, that was number nine. Sorry, I should I should be giving the amount of points. We actually ended up with a pretty clear top ten. John Moxley and Eddie Kingston versus the Young Bucks ended up with 130 points. That was 30 points ahead of the number 11. So quite a clear gap there. And then FTR and the Young Bucks, 156 points. And he is wrenching on Omega. Can Kenny hang on? Kenny hang on? Omega go the 30 minutes. Coming in at 8th with 168 points. So a bit more of a smaller gap there. Kenny Omega versus Pac. Iron Man match from the 26th of February 2020. 
20s. This is the first pre-pandemic match we've gone to. <laughs> Looking back at this match, it feels like a bit of a different world, although we're, we're now back in front of full crowds, so so less so. This was, when they announced this match, I was just so pumped for it, so excited for it, because I, I felt like up to that point, AEW had had some had some really good matches. Um, you know, there's there's a few a number that we'll be mentioning earlier, but the thing that I think everyone wanted to see was New Japan Kenny Omega, and didn't feel like we'd got that sort of level of main event um, main event New Japan Kenny Omega at up to that point. Even though we'd had the mat, we'd had the pack match um, initially at All Out, we'd had the match against Moxley. Uh, this one felt like it was going to be something special. Uh, and and on the night, I think they absolutely delivered this Iron Man match. One of the best Iron Man matches, TV Iron Man matches, I think, ever. Uh, I think it's fair to say. Imp, what uh, what are your memories of this one? So I think, I can't even remember if like, this is one of, like, one of the first ones I thought of when he gave the list. And again, it's that thing of fans remember, because this was before the pandemic, start of the year, it is, it is one of those crazy to think things that AEW has existed longer in a pandemic than they have out of it at this point. And it was only, what, October to February where they got to put out a, what you would call a standard product in front of fans. And the fact that <laughs> this has got so high in the list as well, up to eighth place, uh, I, was, I was like you, so incredibly hyped. <laughs> I thought this match was going to be happening. And then they, if I'm, this one, I can't, I get a bit, this is the one that went to a time limit draw. Like yeah, the first one they did. Time. Yeah, because I remember at the time there was, there was that criticism of, well, what are they, gonna, are they actually going to use time limit draws? Time limit draws are stupid. And again, it's just that thing of, no, the way WWE implement these things isn't how wrestling is. And I felt like the first six months of AEW were, I guess, distilling a lot of things and put, saying that, well, no, we're going to present it in this way. We're going to be used for these things. And this was like the first example of this is how we are going to use time limit draws. We're not going to use them all the time. They're going to be sparing. But if there is a draw, this is how we'll use it. Fantastic. <laughs> I can't. It's so long ago now. I can't remember specific spots. But I remember just building up to that final five minutes was done incredibly well. It's something that, that you see in a G1 climax all the time as that time limit gets closer and closer. I guess my number one example would be uh, Okada versus Tanahashi at, at the, I think that might have been Sam's first G1, that one, where it's like, can he do it? Can, can Tanahashi? Yeah, like, can Tanahashi hit that fog splash and then the timer runs out as he's on the top? <laughs> it's just like stuff like that. Whilst this match was like, Kenny Omega just couldn't finish him off. If I'm right, and well, both men just weren't giving up, and it's got Omega. To that I think Omega won in extra time. Oh, and right. the and that even I mean to talk about you. You mentioned before shared universe storytelling that informed the match that Kenny Omega had less than a week later against with Hangman Page against the Young Bucks, in that he was potentially a bit worn out from this match, having gone thirty thirty absolutely non-stop breathtaking minutes. One of the spots I remember. Um, was a black arrow through a table on the outside, or it may have been a shooting star press. My mind wants to remember it as a black arrow because how <laughs> incredible does that sound? Um, but I know, I know, Pack went through a table. Went Pack and Omega went through a table on the to the outside, which is just mental. Kind of the the aerial precision of Pack is is something incredible. Uh, Gareth, 
I know you had this in your in your top fifteen. Um, what made you vote for it? This is like, oh, for a long time, this was probably my second favorite singles match. Um, I won't I won't spoil what my favorite one was, but like, yeah, um, in AW obviously, uh, Pack and Omega, uh, two of my favorites. Pack especially is just someone I've always liked. Um, and in AEW, he's had my favorite like presentation, particularly those first few months kind of leading up until the pandemic, where obviously he then uh, was gone for a long time being stuck in England. Um, but this was like, he was coming out every week just doing stuff. I remember one time he basically like threatened Riho because he desperately wanted this match with Omega because he knew if he won that, then he would get a match for the title. Um, he also had a match with Moxley, which didn't make this list, uh, where Moxley had the eye patch of Pac with like going on on the ship on the cruise ship, yeah, yeah, which was really really great uh, uh, as well. Just basically Pac in this kind of realm was so fantastic. I do like him now, but like just when he is the bastard, um, it's so much better. Or pissed off Pack as I like to call him. Um, but yeah, like this was just this was basically built from Pac basically forcing this match to happen because Omega was on to different things, you know, and uh, he had previously lost a pack. So it was kind of like in Omega's head, you know, a lot uh, you could see or from pa- oh, sorry, from Pac's perspective, Omega was ducking him because, uh, you know, he knows what was happening and Pac felt entitled to that title shot. And then, but the fact that this was kind of just a bonus, like yeah, it was the week before, wasn't it? Or just Dynamite before. The tag match. Revolution, yep. Yeah, and the, like you said, uh, Sam, the way that like kind of like, built into the story of like, why is Omega just doing these matches like a week before a huge tag team title match where he should be, you know, preparing and focusing on that match. Um, <laughs> instead, he's just having like over 30 minutes uh, with someone like Pac. Uh, but the one spot that really like always sticks out to me was where Pac just gets really pissed off and he like just hits Omega in the head with the chair, but it's like the side of the chair. Uh, so it's like, I feel like that would hurt more, but it's such like a pack thing to do. He's not just going to whack you over the head. He's going to precisely like target a certain part of your head with it, um, with just with the edge of it. And then he rolls him into the ring and hits the black arrow and gets the third, well, the second fall, because obviously there's a disqualification for Omega. So like, yeah, if the ref's not looking, basically, pack wins this match. Uh, and it was it was a really good way of like booking something where it's a it was effectively a draw, which I, th- I think why Imp kind of maybe didn't quite remember that it went to uh, overtime or whatever because they each got a pinfall. It's just Pat kind of had to be dirty to, in order to get that. But uh, I really like that because I love it when someone would just sacrifice a fall for like the greater good because it just it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, but this was just basically a pure wrestling match um there wasn't besides you know pack's character uh motivations to get a match with omega there wasn't too much but then also in in a bigger sense there was a lot because omega had previously lost to pack uh, and then getting this win back over pack kind of then sparks that you know that seed in omega's head of oh i actually am still great you know because before i mean i guess part of the reason he went into the, ta- the tag team route was the fact that he wasn't quite as confident in the singles and it's just kind of omega kind of bit slowly the first little spark of him becoming himself again um and yeah like you said kind of becoming that uh 
New Japan Omega we kind of hadn't quite seen up until this point. Um, and then he had to go back into this tag team, which kind of over a month just kind of grated on him because this is what he really wants to do. Um, so it was kind of like, it's kind of just a throwaway match they did, but at the same time, there were all these little subtle details that made it so great. Yeah, in terms of, you you said pure wrestling match, and in terms of pure wrestling matches, um, obviously this didn't come in first, so there's other ones that are mm. going to be higher than it. Um, but, you know, when you're thinking about technical um athletic i think to this day this is probably still still the top the top one uh you know up higher than say kenny and phoenix and i'm not just saying this because it's ranked higher but they like these are the, the matches that i think of like kenny and phoenix um kenny and jungle boy of course which was which won't yeah. which didn't fall into to this time um kenny and hangman mjf and jungle boy you know <clears throat> But this is still, in terms of a workers one-on-one singles match, this is still this is still the standard I think for yeah. for AEW. So and and it'll take some working for it to uh, for it to be better. I'm sure there's people out there that that could do it, particularly with Kenny Omega still, you know, as champion. So he's in a position where he can sort of put on these these kinds of matches um, yeah. if he wants to. So hopefully we get to see. I mean, I'd love to see these two square up again. The triple threat made the top twenty. I, I think these two could. These two have, have still got plenty more in the tank if they wanted to. Oh, oh, no! Glass shattering. The back of Chris. Oh, 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 oh my God. Number seven, we have with 170 points, so only two points ahead of the uh, the Iron Man match. We have from Dynamite on the 10th of September 2020, Best Friends versus Proud and Powerful in the parking lot brawl. Just a, an absolute banger where these guys laid into each other like it was a, an actual fight, which is, I guess, what they were what they were trying to do. Gareth, you guessed that this would be in the top ten. What are your thoughts on this match? It was a very weird one for me because the feud building up to it, I was just, I was really bored by. Yeah, um, I think everyone matches, was. <laughs> yeah, the matches were fine and all that, like leading up, but like it was just, it, it kind of meant nothing. Uh, it felt like leading up. And then when they announced this, I was like, well, at least we'll get a plunder brawl and it'll be fun. And then when we actually got there, it was just like over delivered on everything. And it was like, wow, all that, I think it was like, it wasn't quite a mirror and Kit versus best friends kind of dragged out thing. But I think it was like a couple of months, two or three months, where they kind of just been going back and forth, not really doing anything. And obviously they had this match as the idea for the end point for when they wanted to, you know, just do it. And, you know, it really paid off. In a little bit like Stadium Stampede, it only really, this is only really possible in this era. Uh, so they, they were really creative. I mean, you could do it otherwise, but... It only really hits the same in this era, I think, where you couldn't have fans. Um, and yeah, a little bit like like Stadium Stampede, it was just super creative in in all of its offense, in all of the spots. It was confined just to that, you know, one space as well, which I thought was really good. The amount of different things they're able to do within that space. Um, and often these kind of like, particularly when they go backstage or whatever, it just ends up like I think of Edge versus Randy Orton at WrestleMania and that force cat anyway whatever the stipulation was they were kind of just punching each other a lot and it was a lot of like moving to the next place so them being stuck in this one place was really really good for that um and it, you never ever got those moments of it's just like oh we're just going to hit each other in the head 
uh, and you know with these punches which don't really look actually very good um and you know just because we need to move to the next point where we're going to do the next spot they weren't just the moving where spot. someone takes a headlock and then they yeah. just walk together <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> always, yeah i don't know that always gets me that moment <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh but there's none of that here and it was just like it was the best version of one of these matches and if you know if people are going to do these matches in the future which they will i think they need to look at this as and there's probably other examples but this is the standard of it where it's just like you need to find a, a good way to get from place to place or just stick in one spot and just go all out for it and the whole like circle thing around like the parking lot bit where they were in just felt, made it feel a bit like fight club or something it's, it's just very like, atmospheric yeah. yeah and it was really really good uh in that sense of it again it didn't mean a whole lot so like i was struggling as to where to rank this because i was like i don't know this has to be higher than i wanted to put it because it was so good but then the story aspects of it weren't particularly great and all those things and in the end i can't remember exactly where i put it but um yeah it was just it was a fantastic feat of creativity in a time where like that really creativity really took you a long way because you don't have those fans to kind of carry a match you know so just brilliant i think um just as a spoiler alert we are about to get into some very violent territory in this countdown um this was a really really violent match the the things that i can remember i'm i can put up with a lot in a wrestling ring but glass i don't know that always sends a shiver down my spine and when trent took the bumps through the windscreen and it was you could just see the glass shattering and cutting him that oh that that got me and then the final the end between where he uh did the package pile driver through the the plank of wood um just mental stuff like the the trust that these guys have to have into each other to to pull it off imp um what are some of the things what are some of the spots <laughs> that you remember from this match Oh, well, <laughs> for some for some reason when he said that, the immediate one that came to mind was Orange Cassidy coming out of the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, real was, violent stuff. Yeah, yeah the real violent <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I'm just like Gareth, where there's something about best friends where I'm just not into their feuds, but then I enjoy some of the matches. Like when it gets too, they go on for like a bit too long, maybe, I don't know. And then it gets to the actual brawly type match and I really enjoy them. But this was something special. I had no expectations. But then being British, like quite often, not being not being in the American time zone, sometimes I'll see the buzz that's happening about a match. And I saw the buzz for this match before I'd watched the show because I had to go to Twitter to respond to DMs. It's both a gift and a curse. <laughs> you see things, you get spoiled. Uh, yes, I was like, really? This match? It's For me, it's another kind of cap in AW where they're willing to let these kind of feuds main event their shows. If a feud has been building for a while and they have this big blow-off match, it will be the main event, even if the build-up hasn't been main event. Because the match itself, they want to give importance to it to give it gravitas. Uh, this was in the middle of, as we're saying, like the pandemic era where you can do these filmed things. And it, you know, you're not going to have a crowd sitting on their hands watching it the entire time. Just going, boo, we don't want a video, <laughs> things like that. And that's not an issue in this era. You can just do something like that and go like balls to the walls in a car park. <laughs> it's just, I, I, it's one where after watching it, I felt like I should have seen it coming. Like I watched Antonio and Ortiz in TNA in Impact. I watched them have incredible brawls. <laughs> like I know they could do it, but for some reason, given the build, I just wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting that fire, that heat. But the moment, you can tell it from like the first frames as they're, as they're entering, you're like, oh wait, no, 
there is something here. <laughs> and it just built and built and got more and more violent it as was, it went on. For me, it was when you saw Proud and Powerful turning up with the dead presidents. Mm. Yeah. The dead presidents mm. make up on, I was just like, face paint on, I was just like, yeah, this, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this yeah. is about to go down. <laughs> yeah. We it, haven't even it, mentioned yeah. Sue as well. Yeah, oh, I was yes. going to say to, yes. <laughs> to finish things off that Sue, it finished off perfectly with Sue flipping the bird. And that one. <laughs> I think that's yes. one of the best endings to a wrestling show I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, over-delivered in every single manner. And like I would say as well that we're at that point of the countdown where for me, apart from the top two, everyone, from like now till third, every match is interchangeable with opinions. There's so many strong matches and like for, like for my own list, two of the matches in my top ten aren't even on the list of this top ten. <laughs> so it kind of shows how interchangeable it is. In a in for me, a really strong top ten to that point where they're so interchangeable because it was like for me this was number eleven on my list, and not because I thought it was rubbish or anything. It's just that from here till third, it's solid. Like it like no kind of threat over one over the other. I would happily go back and watch every single one of these matches because they're all incredible. And John Moxley's in the center of the ring and he has to literally crawl, crawl through broken glass! He's got to crawl through broken glass to get to the damn ropes to break the hole! Good Lord! How bad does he want to win? Number six from Full Gear 2019, John Moxley versus Kenny Omega, unsanctioned lights out. This was something for me uh, as a fan of a diehard John Moxley fan, my favorite wrestler ever, and Kenny Omega, who's pretty much second in that count. It doesn't get much more um, much more special than than seeing this, and something I never thought I would see either. These two squaring off in a ring for so many years. Yeah, this this was not just. Uh, you know, there's the violence, but just the moment of having these two facing off, squaring off. But then there's so much that goes into this match in terms of the story that these guys are telling, how it affects both of the characters um, with where it ends up. As you said, it's all good matches from here on up, but I don't know, this one will always have a special place in my heart. Uh, <laughs> what what are your memories and, and your takeaways from John Moxley versus Kenny Omega as someone who's you know, followed Kenny Omega's rise. But this is, if I might, this is exactly where I had this match in my own top 10. Just, again, it doesn't really matter where it falls at this point. <laughs> but, yeah, because um, oh, I remember covering this with uh, Jan the first, uh, when it aired, I was live, like, immediately after the show. And, like, in the heat of, right, okay, we've seen it. We've seen a hardcore, lights-out style of match on a mainstream wrestling promotion, they've got a TV show on TNT, and they're main eventing their pay per view with a properly hardcore match like this. And it was really interesting hearing the immediate views of people from this. Just that, um, like for example, Janu was covering the show with, uh, he absolutely loved it. Right up his street, the story it told as well. The for me, it's I don't like ultra violence for ultra violence sake. As in, upping the stakes to, like the, like, the end of the match would be a big spot because you want to send them home in a big shock type of thing. Rather than building it up with a story throughout the match. For me personally, uh, Nick Cage is a fantastic example of somebody who does build up that match. By the time, it's like the Young Bucks crescendo thing. 
when you hit that to hit that young book's crescendo. He's fantastic. Which is why he versus Moxley really excites me because they're both amazing at it. And this match here was a very similar thing. And just that story of uh, John Moxley steps into Omega's world with the G1. Now it was a Moxley. It was a oh Moxley. It was Omega <laughs> stepping into Moxley's world with this type of fight. And Omega, and just that point of uh, Moxley just saying, "You're not going to survive this." Like, uh, like constantly, <laughs> like, I'm going to beat the holy crap out of you. You're you are not in your element. And I, I just love the poeticness of that, and the fact this was meant to happen at all out as well. If uh, Moxley didn't, was it like an, in, he got something in his elbow? That that serious thing. I can't remember yeah. what it's called. I can't remember the medical name for it. But he they had to drop out, and this was the replacement match because I don't think it was going to be lights out all out but then it got escalated to this and it's like my god this is (laughs) such a fantastic beat to it and for me for me it was seeing the ultraviolet match on such a stage because like you see it in gcw and stuff but that's not the same stage as something like this like tnt will, will have watched this and they got if i'm right they got in trouble in the state they did this in as in the actual state Either ever gave them like a temporary ban or fined them or something because this was they would they were turned off by the violent nature of this match <laughs> they weren't ready for it. Whilst for me watching it, I was like, no, it told a really good story, and I was really really sucked into it. And and I'm I'm just like you, Sam. You bring out glass, uh, never mind like an ice pick. <laughs> it's just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, they 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 got me with those spots. Because obviously it's wrestling. You know he's not actually going to stab the man in the face that much. <laughs> but it's still... They still got me. <laughs> it still got me. That's the thing with this. Is like, they're not going to hurt each other that much. But, yeah. you know, when you're being suplexed into a, a thing of... Like a, a bed of barbed wire. Or <laughs> when you're... I mean, even just the purely just doing a phoenix splash onto, onto wooden wooden floorboard straight onto the wooden panelling I think Omega said that's one of the worst bumps he's ever taken just doing mm. the Phoenix splash onto that you know it just the it, it, it's cringe inducing but there's something that you also can't look away um, with this and with this kind of match Gareth did you have this one in your top 15 I can't remember uh, I'm assuming I did because I love this match <laughs> um but yeah, like Imp made a really good point there. This wasn't even the scheduled like stipulation. This was never supposed to. This wasn't in the plan. Um, but I, I love so much that it was because what it meant long term was so good. But like the way Moxley showed up in you know just immediately targeting Omega and then throwing him off those chips and stuff uh, was fantastic. And then the way he went then went to the G1. It was, you know, all these little shots at Omega, even though he was doing it for himself as well. It's still built into their their feud. And the fact that they weren't able to have uh, that match, and then Omega, I think he said in, like, a promo at one point, or, like, a, pra- a, pa- a package, uh, or a vignette, or whatever you want to call them, uh, he said something like, yeah, you went to my world, and, you you know, you got injured, and you, have to, you could basically couldn't, you know, you couldn't survive it. Uh, now I'm coming to your world. Uh, the way Moxley showed back up on Dynamite when he popped up behind Omega and then goes and puts him through the glass table uh, was fantastic. So the way they built to this match was great. And again, it made a great point of the story they told and the way they escalated the violence and constantly trying to outdo each other. I think for me, like the moment where, because there were a lot of people who were like, oh, that was too much for me. 
And for me, things like the barbed wire things, they look gruesome, but I know ultimately, uh, as long as you don't throw your eye into one or, or something, it's just going to be a few pricks in the back. Obviously, it hurts, but you're not going to break your leg. You're not going to die. Um, there was a thing where they went through something. But again, it's, <laughs> it's one of those pro wrestling spots where it happens. But then when uh, they did the uh, mocks, tore up the ring and just left the, the wood, Omega did that thing where he did the Phoenix splash onto it, landed in it. It just looked like he just smashed his head off the wood. And then when um, uh, Moxley hit the paradigm shift on him, the way Omega sold it just completely convinced me that he was like completely passed out or like he just sold it brilliantly. Um, but my favorite thing I think about this match was that a year later, this was one of the things, the loss really bugged Omega and it all informed his his uh, heel turn over over Moxley. It was one of the things that informed that. Um, and then his motivation to do that exploding barbed wire death match was also informed by the fact that he couldn't beat um, Moxley in this in this match. So you kind of merged Japanese death match style, you know, with the with the exploding barbed wire, which is you know made big there. So you kind of merged the Japanese and the American styles. And you've got Omega, a guy who was made in Japan, and uh, Moxley, one who was, you know, made uh, mostly in the U.S. Um, even though he's done great stuff in Japan as well. Um, and you kind of, you kind of had that. So it was some really like good, very subtle, long-term story. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love it. I, I can't remember where I had it, but it was somewhere, presumably, in my top 15. Now Pentagon. Oh. Oh, what are you doing? The Madman! The Madman! Oh, love of God! I can't believe what we're seeing! Oh, my God! And, and moving on to another match that is wince-inducing and awe-inspiring all at the same time. Number five on this countdown, the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers at All Out 2019. Escalera de la Morte. Uh, I think after this match... I can't remember if it was Matt or Nick Jackson, but one of them had to ring their their wife to tell them that they weren't dead <laughs> because of how crazy this match was. But once again, telling quite a had a through line of of a story of these two brothers almost playing a game of chicken with one another throughout to see who was going to be the person that blinked first. Gareth, what's the most crazy spot that you can remember from this match? I think that Canadian destroyer off the top rope through the table is the one that I always think of. Uh, I think it was Penta on Nick, I think. Um, and, yeah, it was a crazy match, something that um, I think, like, People often think back to the Edge and Christian and Hardys and Dudley Boys, uh, those kind of ladder matches and all that. And I think this kind of just like is just right up there with those in terms of tag team, you know, um, ladder matches or even just hardcore tag team matches. Um, I I always felt this match was a little bit overrated, um, just because like it was fantastic but I, I found it was fun and then it went and I don't really ever think about it um so I don't think I, I had this in my top 10 but I can completely see why people do just because the level of fun this was and to watch and the ridiculous uh skill of athleticism shown from all men throughout the match uh and like you said there was actually you know a subtle uh story there which I think probably went over most people's heads or kind of what 
was ingrained in them quite subtly um with you know but that was a, a really nice uh touch to it as well bucks versus lucha brothers is just a great kind of feud and it, whatever it's always going to be a great match but i think this is probably the best that these two teams could do um with this because this kind of a match kind of fits them perfectly and i think this is pretty much the best you could do with these two teams um like i say it wasn't it wasn't not for me, but there are just other matches that are more for me. Um, but, you know, I couldn't exactly argue with it being in the top. I, you literally can't argue with it. It's in the top ten. But uh, <laughs> I couldn't argue with it. Um, like, I wouldn't argue strongly against it. It's just, for me, I would have had a bit lower down. <clears throat> Imp, what are your memories of uh, this match at All Out 2019? I mean, the first memory is just going, holy shit! <laughs> they can <laughs> destroy her. <laughs> But the it's for me it's I mean it's a fitting name the Escalera de la Muerte because where I really really I'm happy that have they actually wrestled since have we had a young Bucks Lucha not Bruce? not in a two on two I don't think yeah that's what I was thinking because I, I really I'm glad that they haven't as in where do you go from here like this is that this is the heights you can't get crazier than this so the fact they've not given it us now for two is it two years. It's been two years since we've seen these two teams wrestle each other straight up. I'm really thankful for that because that makes this match feel a bit more special. But also there's no temptation to try and up it. Because, again, where do you go from that destroyer off the top of a ladder through a table? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, that was the escalation from the previous match where Penta hit, yeah. uh, I think, destroyer on the apron on Matt Jackson, I think. Yeah. And this was like a massive escalation on top of that, as in... Um, but you can't get more dangerous than that. <laughs> it's, it's a mental spot. Um, I mean, we've seen it this week. Penta, I think, hit Destroyer running one off through a table. and uh, Off the apron. Yeah, it was off the apron through a table. Um, it just showing, don't even need Phoenix. <laughs> the pairing is still amazing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I think this was a this was a really great statement of intent from mm. the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers. This and the first Double or Nothing because they set the match these guys had at Double or Nothing, which was also in the in this list uh, at number eighteen. Uh, the they said they wanted to make rest, make tag team wrestling something that could main event, and I know there's a lot of people who. Um, after this match said they thought that this should have main evented because of because of how insane it was, how much of a spectacle it was, how much they felt like it stole the night. Uh, and just as a mark of respect, they thought this should have been this should have main evented. So it was quite a statement um, in terms of the importance that tag team wrestling was going to have in in AEW. And yeah, definitely the the two. The Young Bucks, of course, they're the, the cornerstone of that tag team, but they picked a damn good dance partner to do it with <laughs> for the first the first sort of cycle of their programs um, going against the Lucha Brothers. Oh, oh that's a factor, Jackson Deville! Thanks for coming, pal. Not, not oh, a popular move From Double or Nothing 2020, the amazing breath of fresh air that was the stadium stampede, the elite versus the inner circle. I knew this one was going to be somewhere very high in this uh, this countdown because I think for every AEW fan uh, and almost every wrestling fan who watched it, this, this stadium stampede match will have a special place in our hearts. I think it was lightning in a bottle. I don't think it's something that can be captured again really in the same way because so much of it was the fact that this match came 
at the time it did um in an un- unprecedented time <laughs> as we heard so much uh but but a match that brought these beloved figures um these beloved uh factions the elite um the audience heroes and then these rap scallions that we love to hate in the inner circle in this match of just comedic genius um that went for over 40 minutes but you know felt like about 20 uh, and just transported us to a different place imp i'll go to you first because i know how much you love your comedy and wrestling <laughs> um what what it just just what are some of the moments from this that you back on and just make you smile hangman on a horse <laughs> charging at them <laughs> yes was this the birth of the sammy guevara golf cart spot no, that came yeah. from the the week before, or uh, was it like two weeks before when they had a street fight. Uh, um, there was a street fight between Omega and Hardy versus um, the Sex Gods, uh, uh, Jericho and, <laughs> and Guevara. That was they they reprised it in this though. Oh, that's that's why I remember it then. Uh, there's that. There's the transforming Matt Hardys in the pool. Don't know why <laughs> there's a pool in the uh, Jericho Stadium. <laughs> there just is. Uh, and the bar scene with uh, Hager. And Hangman. It's just, oh, it's just so good. As, as soon as it just saw him drinking there, it's like, oh, please just join him and have a drink. It's just, I'm so happy they did that. Oh, that was an amazing... I think, because when they did the Pinnacle this year, when it did turn a bit into walk and brawl, then we'll maybe go into a scene. Uh, you got the odd fantastic bit, like um, I forgot Sean Spears sitting in the room of chairs. <laughs> you got stuff like that. But, yeah, it was that magic in a bottle. This one... It didn't feel walk and brawl to get to a spot to then do a spot. It did feel like they were having a proper brawl all over the place and they just so happened to fall into those locations to do those spots. Mm-hmm. And I felt, I felt the fact that some of them didn't leave the field, I think, was a big one because it, it ended on the field just where it started uh, compared to this recent one where they had to... I know I'm comparing it, but it's obviously it was the next stadium stampede. It was just that they wanted to... It's the difference of no fans and fans, I think which kind of helps this lightning in a bottle thing, where because there were fans, they felt like they wanted to finish it in front of the fans, so they slowly brought towards there. Compared to where there was no pressure to do that whatsoever with this one. They could just end it wherever you like. So they do a, um, I've forgotten Kenny Omega's finisher, one-winged angel, off of the stands into just a pile of tables. <laughs> it's like, And I forgot how crazy it was until they replayed it for this stadium stampede this year. It's like, holy crap, you had the height on that. <laughs> that was incredibly high. Uh, I've got this, it's one of those matches where there's surely more spots I'm forgetting than I am remembering. But yeah, for me, the bar scene, the Matt Hard, different Matt Hardys, hangman on a horse. <laughs> They're the three things for me. Help, help me out, Gareth. What are, what are some of the things that are just burnt into your memory? I just remember Matt Jackson, I think it was, just doing flip after flip after flip. And oh, yeah. I just remember, like, just pissing myself laughing because it was kind of like... Oh, the I mean, suplexing... Was... Yeah, the Northern, se- northern yeah, Lights suplexes. Yeah, yeah. doing the suplex and then, like, I don't know what you call it, but then, like, getting up and then doing it. But he did it across the entire field. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was so ridiculous, but, like, it was just one of those moments where, again, only this match, that can really happen. Uh, and I think everyone was just... Anything that was silly or whatever, everyone was just happy because, you know, it wasn't a great time for anyone, I don't think, really. I think Im's, you know, nailed the best ones. Hangman in the bar. I mean, this was the first time I'd ever 
enjoyed Jake Hager. Um, and I think that was <laughs> that was an achievement. Were they no just offense, smashing him with bottles at one point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He was he was just great in this. I mean, everyone was. Uh, Jericho hitting the Judas effect on the mascot. It was like <laughs> yeah. one of the best Judas effects I've ever seen as well. Somehow, like the mascot sold it brilliantly. You keep going forever. My favorite was that Matt Hardy being transported or transformed in the. Uh, he called it something like the. I forget what name he gave it, but in the Lake swimming of pool. reincarnation. That was the, or, uh, the swimming pool of reincarnation. Well, yeah. I think they said that they'd got the waters from Lake of Reincarnation oh, okay. uh, within the swimming pool. So I don't know yeah. how. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, and like. I, w- I was someone like who, when Mahadi was doing that, I wasn't watching Impact at that point. I went and checked that stuff out specifically. It was just great. And I remember, like, the day after it happened, I came into my university class, and uh, my friend, uh, Reese, who's a big wrestling fan as well, I walk in and we just go, yes, um, <laughs> to each other. And we just, like, went like that. So when he, you know, brought back all this stuff and then did all the different, uh, you know, things, it was just that was just my favorite spot but yeah this match i think you both summed up pretty well already it was such a breath of fresh air in a world that was kind of like weird and you know wrestling is often like sometimes it's best when it's most violent some of these top 10 really violent matches but i think this one just needed to be brilliantly creative funny the bits of you know violence to make you actually believe it is (laughs) real still um but you know just kind of have fun with it and that's what they did and it was perfect, but again, unless there's another pandemic, you know, anything like this can't really happen again, I don't think. Well, I mean, you could do something like this with a full stadium, but, I mean, it would all have to be live, and, yeah, I don't think it'd be anywhere near as good, basically. But it was great. Yeah, look, I definitely agree, and I think the fact that the stadium stampede, too, didn't make the didn't make the cut, it had one person vote for it in all out of all 30 kind of shows that when you put the two up against one another i i i didn't mind the stadium stampede too i didn't think it was terrible but it certainly wasn't there was nothing on this in terms of and and part of that is as we said the moment that it was Moving along to sort of another moment in time, actually, for this company, or what I hope becomes another moment in time. The jury's out as if it will actually be. I think I think the jury's still out as if this will yeah. actually be sort of the landmark moment that people hope it will be, uh, and that is Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa, number three on this list. The 17th of March, 2021, lights out, unsanctioned match. Yeah, this was sort of the culmination of a lot of really great things happening in the women's division, the much critiqued women's division. I know I've written my fair share of things about it. Gareth, I know you've said your fair share of things about it. Um, But this, this match itself capped a really good start to the year for the women's division that started with the women's tournament um and and Britt baker's rise felt like it was gaining more and more momentum and this feud with thunder rosa was was really felt really hot and deserving of this um this stipulation that had been really only used by mox mox and Omega had the match. Mox and Omega had matches against Janella, and mm. that's all they'd done with it. And then they announced this, and it felt well earned. Uh, and yeah, this match comes in third uh, at with 236 points. Two people actually voted this as their top match. Um, so, mm. and 
out of all of the um there was 30 as i said 32 people voted 25 of us voted for included this match in our top 15 at some some position so certainly a match that i think will go down his, historically um where uh, we don't know where it'll end up in terms of the the broader women's division but gareth is someone who has had a bit to say about the aw women's division at different points um what what did you think of this match? What a triumph! I'm 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 guessing you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, I was going to try and like fake out and be like, oh no, this is terrible. But <laughs> I mean, this is no point. Um, yeah, no, this is my favorite ever hardcore match. It was between this and Mox and uh, Omega for me. But like this one, just I don't know what it was, but watching it, I was just so blown away. Um, I think just the performances of the two women. Um, as individuals just so so great i was actually you know the build you were saying it, it felt so hot and it did but at the same time the build really lacked in what i think they really could and should have done with this like i think it could have been so much more um and that was a big disappointment when they announced this match it was like ah oh, this is this feels right but it doesn't feel like you've quite got there um like because there were there were weeks that went by and these two just didn't say anything to each other but yeah in terms of where this match was this really capped off like you said it was a really good start to the year and at at this point i was thinking in north america at least because obviously stardom is incomparable really because it's an all-women's company and things like that you know you can't compare to those but in north america at least i think aw's women's division was the best in north america at that point um i think in terms of NXT, they had some good matches, but the feuds weren't particularly hitting and the matches weren't hitting on the level that AEW were. AEW obviously had that tournament where there were so many great ones and stuff. So even though there were still its issues, um, like AEW just seemed to be going from strength to strength. And, you know, we had at uh, the start of the year where Take On had some really good stuff and then she built throughout as well. And then you had the tournament, which w- was so great, at least in terms of the wrestling. You know, some people wanted it all on Dynamite. I was quite happy like watching it all over the place, but I do see, you know, why people wanted it. You know, that's a different conversation ultimately. Anyway, um, but this was the culmination of it all, uh, and this was the, the best thing that they've ever done in the women's division, um, and it was just fantastic. And I think you know, Britt Baker looked like an absolute star in defeat, and it didn't really feel like anyone lost, uh, but it was very vital, I think, as well. The use of that. Um, the use of the lights out stipulation so that it, there was no official winner in terms of the records because Rosa had to win this match. But, you know, Britt couldn't take a loss because she was still on her rise. And but I was still worried, like, if you're going to have Britt Baker lose here, it doesn't really make sense to then build her to the title, really. Like, it just it feels like Thunder Rosa should, should challenge. But then the way they actually did this match um, was just you know, fantastic, and in doing that, and sorry, my phone's just gone off, um, yeah, and the way they built this match to achieve that for Britt Baker was, like, truly something special, and it just shows you just the level that they're at, and it kind of just proved beyond doubt that they don't really have an excuse not to do this more often, um, so, yeah, it's, I was hoping it'd be a turning point, so far, it hasn't looked like it, but maybe they're saving stuff for crowds. That's the hope, anyway. Um, but yeah, my favourite hardcore match ever. So I can't really say much more about it than that. 
Yeah, one thing that I liked that you said was how you compared it to the Moxley match, the Moxley and Omega match. And one thing that I like about this over that match um, is it is not too long. I always feel like, yeah. particularly with hardcore matches, they need to to hit and hit quick. And and, and they, this one really did. You know, it had it had the ladders, it had the thumbtacks, it had the tables, everything that's going to make you wince and gasp in awe. Um, it, it had it and. Uh, but it did it at a, at quite a, a pace that was really engaging and, and really good for TV wrestling. It, it should be noted this is actually our highest um, of any of the t- any of the dynamite matches on this list. So um, that's the the top two from pay per view. So that that's definitely something. Um, Imp, how would you compare this to the other hardcore matches that we've we've talked about? Well, I've, I've kind of seen it as a taking the women's division to a level that it hasn't been, as in it's the next step in terms of uh, building that the women's wrestling scene. Uh, we've seen it in WWE where they've taken it to grand, amazing levels, but in terms of what they're creating rather than the spectacle and grandeur which WWE can deliver, and they have taken it to the heights of like the main event of WrestleMania, this was a step which the women in WWE cannot take, this, this violent level. They created a story which cannot be replicated by the competition. And I feel like that's why, for me, it felt like such a like landmark moment. As like they found something which the opposition cannot do. <laughs> they can't. They cannot do any match like this. The closest, I guess, is I guess the Becky Lynch moment where she's in blood after invading Raw. Um, mm. Like Britt Baker got her moment, and there's a lot more blood on her face. <laughs> it's just absolutely <laughs> pouring with it. <laughs> it's, and they immediately made the T-shirt as well. It's, just, it's that it's that badass bad badass it's that bad ass kind of look uh, for the t-shirt which I, I guess Baker will be remembered for that hope well I mean we talk, that's kind of one of the things we're talking about it's like it's hopefully will be remembered for like years down the line will this be in as high regard as we are currently holding it as currently the best dynamite match in history that's not what the list is <laughs> but we've we found it in this one and if it's regarded that highly currently I think I'm. I'm kind of with Gareth that the it hasn't been that hot afterwards. It was building to something before it, and this felt like it had some mo- motivation behind it, but not anywhere near the levels of what you would expect for other Lights Out matches. Uh, it was another one where the match itself just blew all the doors open. It was so good that, for me, the, the way that it was received, the build at, in the end didn't matter as much because of how strongly this was received. It's that obviously afterwards there's not been that they were then building two bit breaker becoming champion after that, but there's there's not been this didn't become it would like like for example if I bring it back to Becky Lynch she then became this featured main star of the show after that that's not happened with Baker really she she feels like a big deal when she's on the screen but she's not like main eventing or anything she's not having featured matches on Dynamite she's a featured star of the show. She's got to that level, and now that she's champion, she really is. She's like the face of that division. Um, I'm kind of, and I feel like she is a wrestler that can main event dynamite more often. Just for whatever re- yeah. the reason is, they're not doing it. Uh, I feel like that's the thing that will help it become a landmark moment because that's the thing that really slid. Uh, I'm, I'm just drawing comparisons to Lynch because <laughs> she was that <laughs> white hot uh, female wrestler who also got the awesome blood covered face t shirt, <laughs> and uh, one yeah. that one company immediately capitalized on it. And Dynamite are a bit slower. That's why I don't feel like comparing the two companies really works. Because one is, 
that comic book storytelling where you when you finish one arc that's like the end of that you and your own little story type thing and they happen within a few months period so when they jump on something with Lynch you know like six months later she's probably going to be champion because they write like that AEW are a lot slower and they slowly build to something so I don't feel like going oh they have not done it therefore it's not going to happen they're not like that no I suspect this will be one of the things that is course corrected over time where women's wrestling is main eventing the show a lot more often they're just not there yet and the quality is definitely jumping up I think if I think if to summarise what we're saying this just set an insanely high bar because it's so good Um, and and they haven't yet hit that bar again Uh, but it's it's a it's an incredible match and you know i guess we're we're critiquing the the women's division now in general but you know they've got a ready-made feud for the minute if they want to if they want to heat Britt baker up and and make her and give her something that matters the minute they put her on the screen with thunder rosa everyone's everyone's going to drink up on it because of this match um because this match was so good even if they're going into do a normal match it will be because the legacy of this match will will elevate whatever these two do down the line kind of a little bit of like on what uh imp was saying and then you you touched on it just there like on what this match could mean moving forward long term my hope in, in my little fantasy booking world is that uh thunder rosa versus Britt baker can main event full gear this year and that's where the title changes, because I think that'll be a good reign for Britt Baker. Hopefully she's had enough time to face everyone she needs to face by then. And I think then, if we're then looking at Britt Baker having had a great title reign, some good stuff bubbling under the surface, and then they main event, I think then we can really see maybe, oh yeah, this match really had that. So that's what I'm holding out hope for. Again, like, my actual faith in this company and the women's division is kind of in the mud at the moment, but... You've got to have hope that it will improve. Otherwise, I mean, if you don't, then you know, you I don't know what you do. But yeah, I just want I just want to say that because it could, you know, it could really mean something quite huge, like long term. So, and again, like him said, AEW kind of think a bit more long term than maybe, you know, certain other companies. But Dustin, I don't need, I don't need a partner. I don't need, I don't need a friend. I need my older brother. Since I started this, <laughs> since I started this, I, I had a guess of what the, the the idea of this list at all. I had a guess of what the top two matches would be, and um, it's been pretty clear as the votes have rolled in that there is a there is a clear top two. Um, I was surprised by how clear clearly Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa was third, came in third. That was kind of it's kind of on its own, but the top two distanced the others the other 48 matches by a significant stretch um and we're getting to those two now most people who are fans of AEW can probably guess what two matches that are coming next um we'll start with number two which is cody versus dustin Rhodes from double or nothing in 2019 this had 345 points three people voted at first 13 people voted at second three people voted at third it had 28 votes in total um so absolute majority of people voting for this all but four had this in their top 15 the majority had it in their top two just an incredible statement cody rhodes um from the minute this 
he he came out um, shattering the throne, talking a, to a theme song that talks about how wrestling has more than one royal family. He was setting out with a statement of intent of what he wanted to do and told this incredible story with his brother. Um, I don't want to tell the whole thing because I know you guys want to get a word in as well. So Gareth, you mentioned before that Cody versus Dustin was a dream match when you were watching them in WWE. Um, so I want to throw to you first to, to speak about this match. I think this was one of the few wrestling matches that's ever made me like tear up. And I remember watching it because I didn't stay up for the pay-per-view just because uh, I can't remember why. There was a reason. And so I watched this like the next morning just on my own in my room. <laughs> and uh, I remember just as it as it went, just like... Because I'm very invested. I was a big like Dusty Rhodes fan. Like I think he basically he basically initially saved my interest in wrestling with the stuff they were doing in NXT, and so much of that was built by him, and particularly the characters and the story, the stories behind those characters in the early days uh, of NXT, and even into you know the start of what you call the peak of NXT. A lot of those guys credit Dusty beyond anyone. No offense, Triple H, but. Um, like Dusty was such a huge part of that, um, and you know he's an absolute legend anyway. But um, that was what he meant to me personally. And then Cody, I was always a big fan of, and Dustin, less so because he was Gold Dust, who I did like, but you know was never really presented as anything to really care about. But I always liked Dustin, and I always wanted more for him. And whenever I saw him, I always just thought he was fantastic and he deserved more. So this was just something where it's just like all of those things that were like me as a, a wrestling fan personally, like came together and it was like this kind of like a tribute to Dusty in a way, but then it had its own story with Cody wanting to kill the past in terms of the Attitude Era, which obviously uh, Goldust in particular is so kind of synonymous with. Like he has so many matches at WrestleMania, like he was always on the card um, and like he was just one of those characters that was kind of part of that time. Obviously he didn't play Goldust in this, but Dustin very much represents that era. Uh, but then you've got obviously the brotherly rivalry as well, where, you know, uh, Dustin was always seen as, like, the golden child back in the day, and Cody kind of, uh, you know, Dustin was the natural, and he was the kind of guy, and whereas Cody, you know, he really had to work, and he scrapped, and he left WE to really go and prove himself, um, and now he's here, and he feels like it's finally time to kind of overcome that, so there's so many different elements to where this story went, and so many different things, it's not a story about one thing. There's so many different aspects to it. Um, and then the actual match itself was just like, it was so intense. The crowd was so up for it. Um, you know, I'm, I, th I thought this should have main evented, but then when I look back, I think like, if, we, if you get to the end of that card, the crowd seemed a bit tired for that uh, Jericho Omega match, where I'm happy it was here, where the crowd were just ready for it. Um, everything about it was just kind of, fell perfectly uh i think the amount dustin bled was a complete accident but it was kind of just again like this kind of thing that kind of happened and it you know it felt spontaneous and that's partially because it wasn't quite supposed to be that much <laughs> um and then everything that happened after the match as well with you know setting up the young bucks versus cody which is another one which should be in this top 50 very very underrated tag team match absolutely brilliant match i thought and i'm also being a big cody guy desperate for cody and dustin to have a tag team run even if they don't win the titles although i want them to win the titles uh just because you know, whatever i don't care i want it um but yeah everything about this kind of just fell into place and it was 
I think it was good that it happened here as well, rather than like having like a whole like TV story like build because you didn't really need that much. It was all there. Everyone knew it. Everyone who watched this show knew what this match was about. You didn't need anything. But even so, the few little package, the few little promos they did, and the package that went before the match was still brilliant. Uh, would have been better if they could have used some of the footage from WE and some of the stuff from Dusty's past and stuff. But even so, uh, just it's my favourite match of all time. Um, I don't think it's objectively the best, but it's my personal favourite. And yeah, can't really say more. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned the build, Gareth, because I remember they were teasing who Ga- who Cody was going to go against and they weren't saying it. And there was a lot of tension when he was mentioning it to Brandy and she was saying, no, you can't do this. I like, I forbid you to from doing this. So, and, and there was a lot of speculation online at the time. And I think at the time when people was to, for me, when people were suggesting that it was Dustin, I was like, Oh, come on, really? Can we, you know, like, can we have something fresh, please? Yeah. Uh, because that's what the feeling around AEW was. Like, I want something fresh. And, was, and and there were, I can't even remember who people were speculating it was going to be against because it's so long ago now. But the minute the first promo hit and we saw Dustin Rhodes in just this raw, really, um, really um, bleeded out footage, um, not bleeded out, um, discolored footage, um, just looking very different to how I'd ever seen him before from the second I, I saw that I was in on this match and you mentioned the blood because it, it's easy to forget how jarring it felt seeing him bleed so much because AEW I mean it's a fair critique that AEW does like the bleed a little bit so we've seen a lot of blood since then but at that point it was not something you saw regularly even if you're a new japan fan it was something that was very very rare of course the wwe only rarely did it uh and it felt it felt almost transgressive almost blasphemous um and i don't know it it really felt it up the stakes in this match to see how much he was bleeding because you you felt like wow this is this is an old guy who's who's bleeding out here and he's in a in the match of his life um you know these two with his brother and they're fighting until they remember that they love one another um because they've just got so much animosity between them from the past um imp what are your recollections from this match um beyond the you know the the blood and 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 everything like that we've mentioned there I mean, especially in the era that it happened in. If, I think transgressive is an absolutely perfect word for it because it really did feel like we were getting a kind of story told to us that we hadn't seen for a very long time. Just yep. that, uh, The violent nature of it as well, with the blood. And uh, I, like, for me, like you were talking about that first kind of promo video they uploaded to YouTube where it was... Uh, Cody talking about the Attitude Era being against it, and then Dustin talking about what it represented, uh, and then there's this, there's the family story on top of it as well. But they were both kind of fighting for what they they may be family, but they were fighting for what they believed in, and they were fighting for each side, either side to continue. And I thought I was like, oh, this is fantastic uh, in terms of building a new company, and the fact that Cody was kind of fighting for that world to break away from the Attitude Era. Uh, it's absolutely perfect for your first pay-per-view because we are talking about like something transgressive, building that new future, and this was a ma- match which directly 
kind of brought up and talked about the investing era that we were in. And it was about we need to move on, was what Cody was saying. And this match was all about that. And then, of course, as it moves forward as well, we said, whenever I see that final moment uh, after the match, yes, it got me. Yes, in a moment, I remember tearing up a bit where Cody was saying that he needs his brother. <laughs> it got me. <laughs> but like now, now, now I remember the inner circle promo thing, like afterwards, where they're mocking him. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, Sammy, what? I need my brother. <laughs> it's just oh, it's so funny. <laughs> but so I can't watch that bit seriously now because I oh, damn you, Jericho. <laughs> yeah. But. It was still, like, in the moment, absolutely amazing. It was another show that I felt lucky to be covering it as soon as it had finished, to be in that hype window of it as well. And, like, as we talk about it, yeah, it didn't main event, but it was the match that everyone just wanted to talk about as soon as the show had ended. It truly is something special. And two years later, to say that I, I put this second as well. I was one of those people. Uh, and it's deciding between this one and the one that did go number one, like, well, which is the best? Well, does it matter? They're both amazing. And this was, yeah. Yeah, a tr- again, a transgressive story that really, on its own, really shifted into what AEW were trying to do with the type of stories we would be getting down the line. Obviously, built over a longer period of time, given they've got a TV show now. Uh, the fact they got to that level of story that they did and got the fans that invested without any methods... The only method they had to get across their story was the YouTube channel. And a whole arena was that into the story they were selling. I mean, that's that's a testament <laughs> to their abilities. And like what Tam was talking about, like right at the start of this countdown, about five hours ago, <laughs> talk about that. The the just that thing of well, could they use their YouTube channels to be a storytelling medium? And they had they had perfected that to such a degree that by the time you reach this, like it's not it's not even a question whether they could or not. It's what level of story could they tell? And the fact they hit it at this level on their first try, <laughs> really on the major stage, uh, incredibly impressive. And yeah, it got I, me. It got me. Yeah, I I try, I've been trying not to, as much as possible, <laughs> avoid, I've been trying to avoid comparisons between AEW and WWE because I think that the discourse has become toxic, but it's impossible to have the conversation about the history of AEW without talking about the WWE because so much of what AEW is comes out of that. And one of the things that, for me as a John Moxley fan, uh, I found it was very extremely validating in 2020 is there's now no... No, absolutely no um, question as to what he could have been. Um, I always felt like he could have been what he was as AEW champion, but in the WWE, uh, and and it felt very validating to for me as a fan just to have that. I can't imagine what it would have been like for him to have that run and feel very validated in like this is I should have been a top guy all along, and I've proven now that I could have been. There's now no question that the ball was dropped, and I think. Cody versus Dustin Rhodes on their very first show. That was absolutely uh, and he, them just planting a flag and saying, this is who we are. This is what you missed out on. This is what we're going to be. Um, mm. Gareth, I, I'll, I'll let you finish. I imagine that must have been a feeling for you. Um, having seen this, having wanted it and, and not having seen it, but then yeah. getting it. Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly there really um but like this the whole show was you know it was a thing where it's like oh 
this wrestler I've never seen before. This one I've seen a bit of, or Jericho, for example, you've seen loads from, but it's just like, for me, he always grew kind of stale in WWE. Like, um, he would do something and then they would be like, do that forever. And Jericho's one of these guys who wants to keep evolving. And he was able to do that eventually, but they always dragged out a bit too long. Um, but then either way, seeing him, uh, seeing Omega, the whole show was just like, oh yes, this is kind of what I what I kind of want to come into. But Cody versus Dustin was the thing where it's like, that was the the tie where it was like, um, you know, this is what you could have had all along, like you said. Um, and that was the thing where I was like, kind of just annoyed that I wasted so many hours of my life just hoping for something from that was never going to come. Um, and then it eventually actually did, um, in ter- at least in terms of this one match. Uh, so that was incredibly just validating to watch just as a viewer. Um, and yeah, like I think I said it at the start, uh, but this is basically the match that basically in more than any kind of saved my interest in in wrestling as a whole. Um, and I think I would have been into AEW regardless and I would have eventually got into it. But this was the one that really was like, I'm so hyped for when they actually start up properly now. And I just couldn't wait. I remember that entire year, I was just, itching for dynamite to start because just needed to they have have hit each other with everything everything fans are loving this tag team championship match what else is next what else what else can they do kenny omega and adam page versus the young bucks from revolution 2020 in the end this ended up with 398 points 20 people um, out of 32 put it as their number one match. A further four put it as their second. And a further two put it as their third. So there's only two people. Only six people didn't have this in their top three matches. This has become uh, something of a... Almost, a, it'll be part of the mythology, I think, this match will be part of the mythology of AEW going forward in terms of just how it set the bar for action, for the character, for storytelling, for how they built it on Dynamite, um, to how much the crowd was living and dying on every moment, uh, and just the the various moments in this match that just pop the living daylights out of the crowd in a way that just doesn't feel like wrestling matches regularly do. There's a number of pops in this match um, that most wrestlers would be happy to get once a year, once a career, and these guys got it four or five times in this match. Impa, I'll throw straight to you. This is definitely, I think this is a worthy number one. You had this as your number one. What do you think makes this just stand head and shoulders above the rest for so many people? For me, this is the peak of what AEW are trying to do as a company as a method of I guess telling their stories and incorporating that with the wrestling and the building of the characters and you see their arcs progress over the course of time this match was the example as to what they exactly what they're talking about as in this is the level it can reach it might even be one of those matches where watch it in the future and it's like, wait, what do you mean matches didn't incorporate stories and characters, things like this? What do you mean? <laughs> like, no, this is like, I wouldn't say groundbreaking, because for me this was, I'm getting to see my Golden Lovers style tag team match on this stage, incorporating with all the tension and the story, uh, like you were talking about earlier with the uh, with the Bullet Club is Fine storyline and the way they incorporated that into their tag matches. For me, to get to see 
for me personally, like probably a better story because it's been told over a much longer period of time. In Hangman, on a weekly TV show, and on a weekly TV show, yeah. which, is the, which is the major thing New Japan have never has, especially when watching it as Western people. We, as, our, us as gaijins coming in trying to watch it, like that weekly TV to build it slowly over the course of time. This felt, I don't want to say the word groundbreaking, but it kind of it is that linchpin moment for them, which will go will go down as their, um, I guess, macho steamboat kind of, this was suddenly the thing that inspired so many kind of matches of the future. And the way that they told their stories going forward, that this I feel like this match will be so incredibly influential. And like when the when the Hangman arc, I say when the arc comes to the end, maybe when he becomes champion and he moves on to the next stage of his career, because that's the thing. If they're going for that, that's one of the things I was really excited for with AW was that idea of having character arcs like we've seen in New Japan, like with Naito, where he had a four-year arc to become champion. Which is coming from WWE, like I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Four years. <laughs> like for WWE, it was huge when they announced the Rock and John Cena one year out, and then they didn't interact for half a year. Like that was huge. That was long term <laughs> commitment. <laughs> that was massive at the time. But yeah, for me, Naito was an amazing template of you can build him to a championship match, which is why I bring up Naito because that is one of the conversations currently going on with Hangman. Where do you? Do you Naito him? Do you build him up to his... Do you build him back up just to go, ah, sorry, another two years? <laughs> like, uh, I think no. They've already they've already broken him. The, the difference is the weekly television. You can prolong it a bit easier in New Japan just because there isn't that weekly TV. But with uh, Hangman, they've had, a, they've had enough TV time dedicated to it to tell the same level of fall and rise just within a year yeah. just because of the weekly television. And uh, this was an amazing note, an amazing moment. And we're seeing it called, uh, like we called it at the moment. Imagine the moment when Hangman Page actually goes to hit Omega with that bookshot laureate. It was like, yes, I know I've talked about around the match and now I'm talking about after the match. <laughs> I've got to get to the match itself at some point. <laughs> Maybe after that, you two guys talk about the match itself. But uh, after the match where Hangman is just on the ramp and he teases hitting Omega... And we're seeing it now, just to applaud that long term, the long term storytelling, <laughs> still gas <Gauss> gimmick. <laughs> With in doing that, the fact we're seeing it pay off now, like we said it at the time, imagine what it's going to be like. And now we saw it, we got that pop, and they didn't even hit it. <laughs> it was just teased. I'm going. This is it. Do I hit it now? It's. Uh, the fact that it sells, and we're what, an, a year and a half later, like one year, five months after that match, and that's when we get our first next tease for hitting the Laviot. It's incredible storytelling, incredible stuff, but I feel like I've gone on long enough where <laughs> I guess I was going to have to talk about the match itself. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing. I mean, there's, there's so many things going on in this match particularly for the hangman character the the fact that he goes in thinking that both the young bucks and omega are diminishing what for him at that time is his career highlight the greatest thing he's ever achieved in his career and he feels like the young bucks want to hold it over him as like you only earned this because of us and then the and that kenny omega isn't even taking it seriously he's off fighting 30-minute Ironman matches <laughs> within, you know, five days before they're meant to defend this supposed thing. And then his then desperation during the match to um, 
to try and finish it when he thinks Kenny Omega can't, and eventually that that sort of climaxing in him hitting a one-winged angel, trying to get the job done that way. Uh, and then, of course, as you said, with the ending, and then there's all sorts of stuff going on between Kenny and the Bucks as well, um, and their own sort of dynamics going on. It, it really is, as well as the athletic action that's obviously going to be evident in any kind of Kenny Omega Young Bucks match. It's got just this rich, rich vein of character and story, which I think all of us, all, all three of us just really thrive on and love to, to watch and analyze. Um, Gareth, what, what sort of story things do you, do you remember when you think of this match? Uh, this is just the absolute peak as far as AEW goes in that regard, for sure. Um, you know, again, you could say, the Cody match was better or whatever. It's so close, I, I think. But I think I did put this one as my number one. Um, and it came comes down to that story, really, for me. Uh, you kind of summed up uh, some of it there. And I think I remember watching it with a high level of <laughs> anxiety that they were going to screw it up. Because that's what I've seen constantly from wrestling is... I get my hopes up and then they just screw it up because that's the company I was watching uh, before. And uh, even if you know it was a great match or whatever, they'd somehow screw it up, you know. Uh, and so I went into this match and there were so many people saying uh, in the lead up, the couple of months leading up to this match, because you know as soon as two singles guys start teaming up as a tag team, someone's turning on the other. That's generally how wrestling goes. So like you knew there was going to be a break somewhere and I'm glad they actually didn't go down the road of turning on him he just kind of turned his back and walked out on him just actually more powerful i felt come the end of it uh but either way back to this this particular match um yeah i had so much so many worries because people were saying hangman should be the one to turn and i was just like can you not see how everyone's endearing towards him like everyone's getting behind him and kenny's the one kind of not taking this seriously when hangman does get up and tease that he's going to hit it it kind of reminded me of certain moments where, like, I know I'm kind of being disrespected by someone or I'm kind of being, you know, just kind of overlooked by someone who should be nicer to me. Um, I think anyone who, like, has anxiety or has experienced that before, like, can relate to that. And it was one of these moments where, I, in part, half of my head was like, yeah, get him, because he has been overlooking you and, like, and, you know, the Bucks as well, like, they, they've been disrespectful to you. So he had all the uh, motivation to do that. Uh, Sam's muted. I think he was saying something. <laughs> Sorry, I'll just jump in. Was I the only one who thought that the Bucks and Kenny were potentially going to super kick Hangman there, a la the way they kicked um, AJ Styles out of the Bullet Club? I, I thought I thought they might do something when he uh, steps into the ring and he kind of like you know I thought oh no now they're all gonna get him. yeah that, but that's it, exactly what I thought was gonna but, happen <laughs> yeah I'm glad it didn't go any of those things because that was again like I think what we got in the end was was uh, more powerful than that but yeah I did think something similar to that as well but either way I went into this match with all these little worries that, that they were gonna screw it up because so many people were saying. Hangman should turn heel. And from the start, I was always like, for me, it always felt like Omega because that was 
just the way, particularly when Hangman really started getting over as a babyface, when he was doing all the beer and everything, like, I was just like, you can't turn this guy here, you just can't, even if that was the original plan, you've got to change it. <laughs> Ultimately, looking back now, they did everything perfectly afterwards, and in the build-up to this match, and within the match itself, like, everyone kind of played their own part, everyone had their own individual story, you know, Nick was a bit more of, like, the middleman between Hangman and Matt, where the main animosity was. Kenny was just kind of like, come on, guys, let's just have a good match, you know, you know, best man win and all that. He wasn't really taking it all that. Like, he wasn't as desperate to win. And Hangman, the absolute peak of his career. And then when you actually get into the match, like, it's all these moments where, like, consistently I was so worried. They really did a good job of working me because I was so worried they were going to do Hangman dirty or, like, Bucks would pin Hangman and then maybe that's where Kenny then starts pinning it all on Hangman. You lost us the title, so it's your blah, blah, blah. And he goes with the Bucks. I had all these little story possibilities were whirling through my mind of which way are they going to go and how is this going to end? Please don't screw it up. <laughs> and then, you know, it all went perfectly in the end. Um, yeah, and the way Hangman, him getting the pin especially was just such a a moment where I was just like, okay, this company actually is, you know, they're for real and they're going to give me what I want in a satisfying way where they do tease me and sometimes they won't give you what you want but you'll, you know, in a, in a satisfying way where eventually... So, for example, when uh, Young Bucks beat Mox and Kingston, they didn't give me what I wanted, but I know it's still coming, you know? Whereas, I don't know, sometimes in wrestling, it just all goes tits up and it just ends up being terrible. <laughs> but, yeah, just an incredible match. And the storytelling, the way they built into this match and the way the things that happened in this match then built out of it was just fantastic. And it wasn't a blow-off, like... Like, so many of the greatest matches ever are blow-off matches, you know, or they But this one was something which actually just built into a larger story. And, you know, you could almost say some of the most recognisable moments of this story, uh, some of them haven't happened yet, but um, some of them weren't even in this match. Like, you know, like, a lot of them came afterwards, um, you know, so it's just great stuff. Oh yeah, we could we could probably talk all night. The last thing I'll mention, just the what I thought was the biggest pop of that match was when um, Kenny Omega kicked out of the Golden Trigger at one, yeah. and mm. then punched the canvas so hard he broke his hand. Um, <laughs> just absolutely spine tingling stuff. Um, the yeah, we've already said we've gone through what was going with Hangman. We've gone through what's going with the Young Bucks, but even like Kenny Omega, the guy who was sort of holding this this fragile partnership and and alliance together, the guy who was stuck in the middle was suddenly fired up, more fired up than anyone else, and the crowd just blew the roof off. Uh, yeah, just as as we've said i think like all of these top 10 matches we've talked about today um are fantastic matches and the ones we have given a bit of critique for we really are nitpicking um but this one this i don't think there's anything you can say about this match that i like i would be i would be challenged to to see any kind of criticism of this that you know is beyond just a few little small things that I, I don't even know what they would be, but uh, this is as close to a, a perfect match as I think we'll see um, for for a long time. And look, just before we before we wrap things up, guys, um, anything you would like to add on the end there about this match or just about the countdown in general? I mean, I didn't talk about the match. I mean, we do need to wrap up at some point, but yeah, just there were so many spots in this match that. 
Uh, for me, again, get the first like ten minutes getting across each individual character's animosity, and then building upon that, and eventually, um, yeah, then the Omega gets more and more roped into it by the actions of the young books, where Hangman and Matt are at each other from the bell, and then Nick and Kenny just need a bit of convincing during the match, but they end up do convincing, and they escalate and escalate, and yeah, the. The, and the fact that this was used as the kind of escalation point for the next six months of story for Omega and Paige. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to go through each individual spot because, again, we do need to wrap up. <laughs> but, yeah, so <laughs> appreciate just the, kind of the overall story of the match and the escalation of it. Yeah, look, look. Thank uh, we we could talk all night about these <laughs> matches, but as you said, we've we've got to wrap up. Look, I'll just wrap up by saying, um, I'll, I'll just run back through the top ten. So we had John Moxley and Eddie Kingston versus the Young Bucks from Double or Nothing 2021. At number nine, FTR versus the Young Bucks from Full Gear 2020. At number eight, Kenny Omega versus Pack in the Iron Man match from Dynamite. Number seven, Best Friends vs. Proud and Powerful from the Parking Lot Brawl, also from Dynamite. Number seven, uh, number six, John Moxley vs. Kenny Omega. Lights out unsanctioned match from Full Gear 2019. Number five, The Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers from All Out 2019. Number four, The Elite vs. The Inner Circle Stadium Stampede from Double or Nothing 2020. Number three, Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa from Dynamite, unsanctioned lights out match. Then number two, Cody versus Dustin Rhodes, double or nothing 2019. And then number one, Kenny Omega and Adam Page versus the Young Bucks from Revolution 2020. Uh, a very fitting top 10 to end this project with. Um, and I want to extend my thanks to all of the people who contributed to this project. Um, it was so heartening and so exciting for myself personally um to reach out to a bunch of people and have so many people right back going this is great i really want to be involved thanks to to all of the all of the words that were written sorry to the people whose parts i've had to cut for different reasons just to make make the space on the in in the article um i read every single thing everyone wrote and i i know the care and the effort that went into it so i really appreciate it um Thanks to everyone who's who's gone and read it. You can read the whole top 50 on WrestlingHeadlines.com. Uh, the, there's commentary on every single match from the people who voted for it. Uh, definitely well worth looking at and well worth reading through. Uh, if you somehow have never watched an AEW match, then this is the perfect place to start. That's why I call it the match guide. This is going to be, hopefully going forward somewhere, something that can be referenced to historically. as like, this is the, the best matches that this promotion has put on. And also, I, I would like to thank both of you guys um, for encouraging me to do this project as well. Um, I stopped writing a little bit earlier this year, um, writing regularly, uh, and that was a good thing for me to do. Um, but I really appreciate the the kind words you guys gave me and the encouragement you guys gave me to, to go ahead with this project. I'm really glad I did, and, and, and thank you very much. I'll leave you guys now to, to just give your plugs out. Where can people find you um, and, and and what kind of things have you got going on? Um, Gareth, I'll start with you. Yeah, uh, you can find me uh, firstly on Twitter at RHWGareth. Um, just tweet a load of nonsense, really. But then uh, my more succinct takes uh, when I actually eventually start getting around to writing a bit more regularly, uh, which is hopefully coming soon, will be on uh, Pro Wrestling Musings. And then myself, my friend Kieran, uh, we stream now that it's back in the regular slot. And, you know, 
work and stuff doesn't get in the way. We stream uh, AW Dynamite every week. Uh, you can come and join us before the show if you don't want to stay throughout. That's fine. Or you can if you don't like listening to Jim Ross. And then sometimes we do stuff on YouTube as well, although that's been on the cooler. But as soon as that starts back up, I'll be tweeting about it. So, yeah, on my Twitter, Gareth is the best place. Andy? Follow me on Twitter at the damn implicat. That's damn as in damn. I still need to find a new way to plug that. I've not done it. <laughs> One that doesn't involve me doing a Ron Simmons accent. <laughs> Quite like it. Uh, also, I uh, every week I do the Raw review for wrestling headlines. That goes up you on YouTube. Love man. Yeah, wow. <laughs> what a thing. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that is part of the reason why I messaged Ch- uh, Stephanie Chase. <laughs> I was just like, I covered Raw this week. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> um, the Raw, but this will go out. Um, in time for the column, which goes up at the end of the week. So by then, you would have seen that I've not done the Raw review this week, even though it's the last of the Thunderdome. Family emergency, not able to do it. Money in the bank is also in question. I do have to shock as well. It's a level enough that uh, everything's just been thrown into disarray. Don't actually know in terms of anything. Also Twitch. Follow me on Twitch. The, the implications with two S's. Um, same boat. I was meant to be returning this week, but then uh, just not able to. I, I'm planning to get back on it at some point. I made affiliate. I did two streams. The money from them was nice, actually. No surprise. <laughs> but uh, it sucks that I've only been able to do two streams since making affiliate. So I'm hoping to get back into it, into the boat with that. Like Sam, I've cut back on my column writing as well. And I really need to get back into it. Because I'm going to be rusty as hell for that G1 Climax. <laughs> I, need to, <laughs> I need to get back into writing words good. <laughs> so oh, we'll see how that goes. Oh, right, yeah. Anyway, I think that's everything. Uh, I feel like I always feel like I'm forgetting something because there's so much to plug. <laughs> the wrestling headlines itself <laughs> on Twitter, wrestle headlines without that's wrestle without an e. Uh, the Facebook page as well for wrestling headlines. Uh, in- insane amount of followers on the Facebook page does really well for the site. So thank yeah. you, Facebook. I don't know, you're a weird place, Facebook. Yeah. I don't get you. <laughs> well, look at. Uh... You can follow me uh, on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. Um, as I said, you can find the full top 50 for the definitive AEW match guide uh, on wrestlingheadlines.com. Uh, and you can find my history of the things I've written in the past also there. Um, so if you you know if you're really keen, go back and go back and watch this. But mainly, look, reach out to the the full list of contributors is on the list and also on my Twitter. Go and follow all those people. If you, it's a great bunch of people to follow. Every single person there is someone that I personally picked and reached out to 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 write this. So you're not going to follow a bunch of trolls if you follow those people. So go and speak to them. And and they're they're people who contribute positively to this community. And so. So go seek those people out. As I said, once again, look, thanks to all the people who contributed. Thanks for listening um, and for tuning in today. Um, really appreciate you and, and also both you and Imp and Gareth. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, we'll see you in 12 months' time for <laughs> the definitive AEW match guide for 2021. <laughs> the two-finitive. <laughs> <laughs>